0: Thank you, Brother Danny. It is well with my soul. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. And as Brother Danny said, is it well with your soul? That second verse tells you where you get that peace in your soul at. When you find out that my sin, is nailed to his cross. Brother Danny was talking about a little bit this morning in Sunday school about being justified. We're going to be talking about that a little bit in the message this morning. Uh, The word justified, a good definition, Brother Danny shared this morning, many times you'll hear this, it means that it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. My sin has been nailed to the cross, taken care of, and I can lay my head on my pillow at night uh, and say, it is well with my soul. Amen, thank the Lord for it. We'll be in Luke 18 this morning, Luke chapter number 18. Uh, We've been looking uh, through the parables, going through the parables uh, uh, for the last several Sundays, and this morning we'll be looking at the parable uh, of the Pharisee, and the publican, the the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. We find this account in Luke 18 verse 10 down through verse number 14. Now this is a common parable. It's one that we've probably heard before. It's one that's often taught in Sunday school. And we know the parable of the Pharisee and the publican and they come uh, to the temple to pray. Uh, The parable though is often... uh, um, People often put the wrong focus on this parable. Now when we look at this parable, we will see that it is uh, about two prayers. It is about the prayer that the Pharisee prayed and it's about the prayer that the publican prayed. And because the focus uh, or the content of this parable is these two prayers, many times uh, uh, when we look at this parable, we will think that this parable is teaching us uh, about how we should or should not pray. And we think that this is teaching us something concerning our prayer. And while that truth can be gained from this parable, the focus of this parable is not on how we should or should not pray, but rather the focus of this parable is on the subject of justification. The subject of this parable is on being justified before God. And so this morning we're going to take a little bit of time to look at what this parable has to say concerning. Learning, uh, justification. What is a justification? Justification uh, is the means uh, where sinful man uh, is made holy, uh, uh, made righteous uh, before uh, a holy God. Justification is that means uh, whereby me, uh, an imperfect human being, uh, a sinful human being, uh, a condemned human being, uh, can stand before a holy and righteous God. Uh, and when he looks at me, uh, as you said this morning, Brother Danny, he says, Me as perfect, flawless, 100% ready and and eligible to enter the gates of heaven. That is justification. Justification occurs at the moment of salvation when the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washes away all my sin, and I'm standing before the Lord, before the God Almighty, before the Lord, and between He and I is the blood of of the savior and when he looks at me uh, all he can see is the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is justification. Whenever we think of terms that we use regarding salvation, we hear of the word justification, which I've just described, and then there is the word sanctification. Sanctification means growing in the Lord. So at the moment of salvation, I appear holy before the Lord. I am eligible at the moment of salvation to enter the portals of glory. I am 100% qualified to spend eternity in heaven with my Savior. There is nothing else that I ever have to do. I have been justified. But while I continue to live here on this earth, God begins a good work in me is what he calls it. And that good work is the work of sanctification whereby I begin to learn to act like and behave like a Christian. You see, the problem is uh, that over the course of time, even back in Bible days, as we'll see here, up into our day, uh, the problem is that we get those two things reversed. And we begin to think that in order to get to heaven, in order to be eligible for heaven, in order for me to be able to spend eternity in heaven, I must already have been cleaned up. That my entrance into heaven somehow or some way, the the way that I get there is contingent upon how I live. Therefore we put sanctification before justification. And we think that I've got to clean up my act. I've got to be able to do all these righteous things. I've got to be able to to show God how good I am. And we get it backwards when the Bible teaches that justification comes first and sanctification follows. And we will see this in this parable this morning. More than teaching us how to pray, this parable teaches us how to be justified. Let's read here in Luke chapter number 18, starting in verse number 10. The Bible says, well, let's back up to verse number 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, Jesus telling the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be Exalted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for these people that have gathered together in your house this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we've had, Lord, to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the songs that were sung, the songs that we've heard. I thank you, Lord, how it's ministered to our heart. Lord, as the choir sang, I go to the rock, as Brother Danny sang, it is well with my soul. Lord, I thank you, Father, that we have a Savior we can depend on. We have a Savior, a Lord, that is able to provide us with salvation Father I thank you for it Lord as we look at this parable I pray dear Lord that you will bless your word this morning I pray dear Lord that you will speak through me your servant I pray dear Lord that you in, in tune the ears uh, of your people that Lord they may hear the message and Lord if there's those here this morning that have never trusted in you Lord if there's those here that are relying on their good works and the things that they have accomplished Lord I pray that through this message this morning you will open their eyes to the fact that Salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Blessing the service this morning, blessing the children's ministry downstairs. Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This parable. As we look at this parable, it's made up of a series of contrasts. Actually, throughout the the whole parable is a contrast. And if we look at the parable, we see that it's broken down into multiple contrasts. We have the contrast between the character of the men who are praying. We have a contrast between the prayers that they prayed. And then there is a contrast between the results of their prayers. We'll take a few moments and look at each of these this morning. First, let's consider uh, the contrast uh, of the men who were praying. These men that Jesus has presented in this parable, and I love the parables uh, because we realize uh, that Jesus was definitely the best teacher uh, that ever lived. He was far more than a teacher, but he was absolutely the best teacher that ever lived. And whenever you look at the parables uh, you see that he knew how to take uh, uh, situations, circumstances, uh, individuals uh, and he was able to paint a picture that so clearly transferred the message uh, that he wanted Us to get. And so he picked two men who were completely opposite to drive home the point of the parable. The first man that we see of course is the Pharisee. Now we've heard of Pharisees. We know from the Bible about the Pharisees but oftentimes because we are students of the Word of God and we read the Word of God we see the Pharisees in a negative light because by reading the Word of God we understand that they were not truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had corrupted uh, religion. And so when you and I as Christians looking back, understanding the full picture, when we look back at them, oftentimes we will view the Pharisees in a negative light. But that was not the case when Jesus was telling the parable. Matter of fact, the Pharisees, uh, when Jesus was giving this parable, the Pharisees uh, were the elite. Uh, they were the top of the class. Uh, the Pharisees were the type of people uh, that you wanted uh, somebody to see you standing beside them. Uh, I don't know, several of y'all may have heard of Patch the Pirate. Uh, 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 Ron Hamilton, known as Patch the Pirate, uh, wrote a lot of children's music. The Lord greatly used uh, Ron Hamilton. Over the years, I grew up listening uh, to Patch the Pirate music, loved Patch the Pirate pirate music and enjoyed listening to it but had never thought that there would be any chance in the world that I would ever meet Ron Hamilton and here about five or six years ago I was at a Bible conference uh, and Ron Hamilton was in the Bible conference uh, directing the music and so whenever I seen him I went and stood beside him he had no idea who I was but I told him I said I'm John Tilly I'm just thrilled to get to meet you and I had somebody take a picture of me standing beside him because I mean wow this is some kind of guy that's influenced my life. I want a picture of me standing beside uh, Ron Hamilton. Do pray for Brother Hamilton. His health is deteriorating and uh, it doesn't look like he's got much longer on this earth. But uh, boy, I'm telling you what, he's the kind of person I wanted somebody to see. Hey, I met Ron Hamilton. Uh, And the Pharisees in that day and this day were the kind of people uh, you wanted to be seen with. Uh, uh, You would love to have been their friends. These are the people that you would have readily invited into your house. Uh, These guys were the elite. They were the religious leaders. Uh, uh, They were respected. Uh, These men were moral. They were were highly esteemed. Uh, They were students uh, of the law and they were teachers uh, of the law. Uh, In the eyes uh, of of their countrymen, the Pharisee was the best that society had to offer. They were the best. They were the top. Uh, These were men uh, who, although they didn't hold political office, uh, they had great persuasion with uh, the government because of their position and their standing. I mean, the Pharisees, you didn't get any better than a Pharisee. This was the top of the class. These were the men that everyone wanted their children to grow up and be like. These were the best society had to offer. But then we see not only the Pharisee, but Jesus also introduced a publican, a publican. Now, a publican was a tax collector. But not just a tax collector. You and I, we don't enjoy when we have to pay our taxes, but we understand that it's something that we're required to do, so we do it. And we don't necessarily despise those who work in the office, although we may be grumpy when we talk to them. We don't really despise them because they're just doing a job. But the publican, the tax collector we find here in the Word of God, he was a little different. You see, the Jews were under Roman power. So the Romans were kind of had had kind of put their uh, pressure upon them, and they were over top of the Romans. Um, so the Jews were in subjection to the Romans, and so the Jews hated the Romans because they felt that the Romans had taken their liberties. The Romans had taken their ability to do what they ought to do, and so the Roman, the Jews hated the Romans. But a publican was someone who was a Jew who went to the Romans and said, I'll work for you. I will collect taxes. I'll gather the taxes up. I'll get in amongst the people. I'll take their money and I'll bring it to you. So he was, in other words, uh, a turncoat. Uh, He was disloyal to his people. Uh, Not only was he a turncoat and disloyal, uh, but a publican also, the way that he got paid, was the Roman government said, "This is how much money we want. Uh, anything else you can get is yours to keep," and so the way he got paid was by stealing. He would say to you, "The Roman government, if uh, brother C, if you owed him a hundred dollars, he would tell you you owed him five hundred dollars." He would collect the money and put 400 in his pocket. This is how he made a living. This is how he got paid. So not only was he disloyal, not only was he uh, turncoat, uh, but he was also a thief. He was dishonest. He stole. Not only did he steal, but he stole from his own countrymen. Because of this, the publican was a guy that was hated. Matter of fact, the publican was hated to a degree. He was hated to a degree that they would have rather entertained just about anyone else, murderers, adulterers, it didn't matter, anybody but a publican. They hated the publican because the publican was someone who had turned against his own people. In the eyes of the countrymen, the Pharisee may have been the best of society, but the publican was the worst of society. In the eyes of the countrymen, this was as low as you could go. So when Jesus introduced this parable, he chose the examples that would drive this parable home. He chose the best, the most moral, the most upstanding and the most respected to contrast against the most dishonest, the most corrupt, the most vile. He chose the best and the worst. The reason he chose these is because he wanted to drive home the truth. That justification is not based on me but justification is based on Him. It doesn't matter how you look in society when it comes to justification. It doesn't matter how your fellow man views you when it comes to justification. And Jesus wanted to drive home this point that our own abilities, our own accomplishments, or our own standing in society has nothing to do with whether or not we will get to heaven. Jesus is showing us here that the best can miss heaven while the worst can enjoy heaven. I'm telling you, this ought to be a message of hope because if we were honest, all of us would have to admit that we do not deserve heaven. If we were honest, we'd all have to admit uh, that although there may be some that look up to us, there may be some that consider us good people. If they really knew everything that there was to know about us, they probably wouldn't like us anymore. Uh, We all have to admit uh, that there's none of us uh, who could ever merit heaven on our own. So whenever we look at a passage of scripture that teaches us uh, that heaven is not necessarily for those that do good uh, and it's not necessarily withheld from those that do bad, uh, but it is given to all who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, It all the doors wide open so that whosoever will may come and taste of the water of life. Jesus is driving this truth home. We see the contrast of the men, but now let's consider the contrast of their prayers. The contrast of their prayers. First we see the prayer of the Pharisee. The prayer of the Pharisee. If we look here in chapter number 18, verse number 11, we see the Pharisee praying. It says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, I don't believe that there's any reason to think that the Pharisee was lying in what he was saying here. It's very possible that he was telling the truth. He hadn't never done any of those sins that he mentioned and he probably did regularly fast and he did pay his tithes. He was probably being honest about all that he said, but none of those things merit salvation. See, this was his problem. None of those things merit salvation. You see, when we consider the prayer of the Pharisee, we realize that instead of focusing on God, he focused on himself. God... I want you to look at me. You know what? Whenever somebody enters into that attitude, it's a clear indication that they have no idea who God is. When I think that me, a worm, could impress the Creator, I have no understanding of who the Creator is. But the Pharisee goes before God with the intention of impressing God with who He is and what He has done. He focused on Himself. But then He made another mistake in that He measured Himself against the standard of man rather than measuring Himself against the righteous of God. He said in his prayer, he said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. He measured himself against the standard of man. The Bible tells us that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise because it doesn't matter how bad you are, you can always find somebody who is worse than you are and whenever you find them, you can begin to feel that you are okay because you're not the worst. You cannot compare yourself to other men. You must compare compare yourself to the righteousness of God. And it doesn't matter how good a person you are when you put yourself against the righteousness of God. We pale in comparison. There is no way that man can ever even come close to scratching the surface of the ultimate purity and righteousness of our heavenly Father. We see that he made a mistake in measuring himself against other men rather than... Against the righteousness of God, he presented himself to God as already justified based on the sins he avoided and the piety he practiced. God, I'm just. Here's how I know I'm just. Here's a list of sins I've never committed. Here's a list of good deeds that I regularly do. Now, as I said, I don't think he was lying in what he said. He was probably being honest. But you know what? Everyone in here could give a list of sins they don't commit. Oh, yeah, all of us can have things that, no, that's not a problem for me. I've never done that. I really don't understand why people commit that sin. I've never done that. I, well, I've never I, I've never taken a life. I've never uh, been unfaithful. I mean, we could, we, we could go on and on and on, and each of us could list all kinds of sins that we've, never participated in. And we can make ourselves look pretty good by just not mentioning the sins that we do struggle with. But you see, God, who he was praying to, knows all. You see, the problem with the Pharisee is he wasn't really praying to impress God. He was praying to impress men. And in this prayer, he was letting men see, look at what a great person I am. If you seek to impress men, you will find that you get your reward from men. you seek to please God, you get your reward from God. We see here that he was seeking to please men. God knew who he really was. He said, this is what I've never done, this is what I do. But God knew the rest of the story. We look at the prayer of the Pharisee and we see that although he starts out with the words, God, I thank thee, the rest of the prayer was centered on himself. A prayer of pride. But then if we look at the prayer of the publican, we see a completely different attitude. Now we know the publican was the least of society, someone that no one would ever even cross the street to talk to in that day. Actually, they would cross the street to avoid the publican. They didn't want to be around him. But whenever he came before God, we see first of all that he came with an attitude of humility. He said he would not even lift his eyes. He didn't even count himself worthy to lift his eyes before God. He came in in an attitude of, in the spirit of humility. He came in an attitude and a spirit of desperation. This publican had recognized that his only hope was God. You know what? As people, I run a little rabbit trail here. We run from adversity. We run from trouble. We try to avoid hardship uh, with everything in us and if we're forced uh, into hardship, be it great or small, uh, we tend to get pretty bitter about having to go through the hardship. Uh, But you know what? It would do us good once in a while to just accept uh, what God sends into our life and recognize uh, that he's using it for our good. You see, this publican right here had recognized uh, that his only hope uh, was the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because his fellow man wanted nothing to do with him. He had ruined his connections with his nationality. The Roman government used him. His own government wanted to imprison him. He had no standing. He had nobody to turn to. And so he recognized that his only help was the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisee, on the other hand, thought that he was accepted, thought that men looked up to him and didn't see his need. I'm telling you what, it does us good once in a while to let ourselves and others experience some hardship. So thou look to the Lord. We see here that this publican, he had an attitude of desperation, a spirit of humility. But then I want to look at his prayer. It's only seven words. Boy, I'm telling you what, there is so much in this prayer. We see that in this prayer, he exalted God and confessed his failure. Look here. Just look at the first word, God. And then the last three words, me, A sinner. I'm telling you what, this guy had a right perspective. God, almighty, exalted, all-powerful, completely able to meet the need that I'm bringing to him. God. And then he referred to himself and me, a sinner. You know what? You will never get help from God until you find yourself in that mindset. God is exalted, and I am condemned. This is where he found himself. God is almighty, and I am at his mercy. We see that in this prayer, the publican, he knew that he had violated the law of God, and his only hope was the mercy of God. He said there in verse number 13, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner the publican understood his problem he was a sinner and because of his sin he was condemned he understood his problem he also understood god's position as the only one that could take care of his problem he also understood his need for pardon and in other words he understood that he was subject to god you know this is something that our society has forgotten and something it would do him well to remember that every creature, every human being is subject to God. He is our creator and whether I accept him or reject him I belong to him and I am subject to him and you can deny him you can mock him you can claim he doesn't exist but you are still subject to him and your behavior toward him will determine his behavior toward you everyone is subject unto God but some people don't recognize that they're subject to God and they behave themselves in an unlawful manner and there's coming a judgment day when God in his righteousness will bring judgment on those who rejected their creator who they should have been subject to. Every man is subject to God but the publican recognized that he was subject to God. And he recognized that because I'm subject to God and because I've lived sinfully The only hope for me is to receive pardon from an almighty God. Every man needs to come to this point. We see the Pharisee approached with pride and exalting himself, demanding the recognition of God. But the publican came with humility and a broken spirit, begging the attention of God. Here I am. I have no hope but you. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 6, speaking of some things that the Lord hates, says, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, and the first one that he lists is a proud look. This describes the Pharisee. But in Psalm 51 and verse number 17, the Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 5, the Bible says, For God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Here in this parable, we see a Pharisee exalting himself, lifted up in pride, but we also see a publican, although worthless in man's eyes, broken before God. Boy, I'm telling you what, it makes for a totally different outcome. The third thing that we see is the contrast of the outcome. First we see justification. It says in verse number 14, I tell you this man, speaking of the publican, went down to his house justified. Boy, that just makes you want to shout right there. This man, this worthless man, this hated man, this thief went down to his house justified. You know what that means? That means this man was eligible for glory. This man was eligible for a mansion in eternity. This man was qualified to walk with his creator and have fellowship with an almighty God. He was justified. Why was he justified? Because he came before God recognizing his need and put his trust in the Savior to show mercy to him. He was justified. The publican heard. He was helped. He was healed by an almighty God. But whenever we look at the Pharisee, we see condemnation. The Pharisee, he was self-righteous. He sought the praise of men. I imagine when the Pharisee left that day, he felt good about his prayer. Well, I noticed, I noticed some people over there listening. There was the folks over there, boy, they, they was impressed when they realized that I fasted twice a week those folks over there they were they they really look up to me now because they recognize what a good fellow I am he probably left the temple feeling good about his prayer he was self-righteous self exalted he had gained the praise of men but the bible tells us that he found out that his prayer hadn't been heard verse number 14 it says there i tell you this man the publican went down to his house justified Rather than the other. The Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There's coming a day of reckoning. The Pharisee will say, But what about? The Lord will say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Why would the Lord call? the Pharisee, the best in society, a moral man, a man who did live right and obeyed the law. Why would the Lord say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? How could the Lord speak? Okay, so this man, maybe he doesn't get to go into heaven, but how could the Lord call him wicked? Because the greatest sin that man can commit is to despise the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I rely on my own goodness to get me into heaven I am despising the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am saying there was no need for you to die. I have no need for your blood. I have no need for your forgiveness. I have no need for your pardon but I expect you to let me into heaven without giving you any regard and it is the greatest sin that we can commit is to despise the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter how good of a moral life you live on this earth when you stand before the great judgment seat of Christ uh, and he looks at you uh, and you have never put your trust in him you have never accepted him but you've went through life hoping uh, that uh, you've done enough good to get into heaven he will say depart from me you you worker of iniquity I never knew you how is it that man can think uh, that they can reject the salvation offered by God uh, and demand to be entered into his glory it's not going to work that way It's not going to work that way. We see the publican was justified, but the Pharisee was condemned. Verse number 14, For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What about you this morning? What about you? What are you trusting for your justification? I would like to think that everyone here has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that many have. But I also have to believe that there are probably some this morning that are hoping, they're hoping that they've done enough good. I mean, I'm a good person. I've, I mean, I've never done anything really bad. And they're hoping, they're hoping that they've done enough good that God will let them into heaven. doesn't work that way. As long as you are presenting yourself as your means whereby you're going to gain heaven, you will never, ever gain heaven. The only way you'll gain heaven is whenever you recognize I am a sinner. And my only hope is to receive pardon from an almighty God. This morning, what about you? What are you trusting for your justification? The Bible tells us that the publican was justified and the Pharisee was condemned. Why is that? The gospel track will be taking our test in a little bit, the gospel track that we went over in our class. The first page right here, it says, man's greatest misunderstanding. You cannot get to heaven by being good. And the devil has used this lie to send more people into eternal damnation than any other lie. He tells them you can get to heaven by being good. I'm here to tell you this morning, you cannot get to heaven by being good. There is absolutely no way that our own goodness will ever merit heaven. But it doesn't mean we're without hope. It doesn't mean that there's no way to get there. It doesn't mean that we're automatically... Without a chance, no. It means that we need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to put our trust in the finished work of Calvary. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been trusting in your own goodness. You've been trusting in the things that you've done and you're like, Surely, surely I'm okay. Surely God will let me into heaven. Surely... It's all right, you've been trusting in your own goodness, hoping, hoping it'll get you into heaven. Let me tell you this morning, you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Miss Debbie's gonna begin playing the piano as she plays. If the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, you come. Let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure without a doubt that you're on your way to heaven.